0: So I'm here with Mohamed Azim, he is the CFO of a school board here in Canada, I love to ask him some questions and get some inside uh, views of the school board and uh, what they're doing to help kids, or maybe what they're doing to not help kids, what does it look like inside and behind closed doors. Thank you very much for being here today, a few questions I'd like to ask you, first one I'm going to start off with is, um, you're at a very high position within the school board, And a lot of students want to get to a high position wherever that is. If it's a uh, president of some company or if it's a manager at McDonald's. Uh, Could you touch upon your experience of getting to that position and what it took you?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, First, I just want to just say it's um, very encouraging to see the youth kind of take a very creative ways in um, ensuring that uh, their counterparts are being um informed about you know potentially what to be doing in the future and how to get there and things like that so i think uh, you know just someone just kudos to yourself uh for, you. for being very creative um and, and coming up with a platform for the youth to be you know informed through interviews thank so you so thank much you. um and, and the second part is uh thank you for interviewing me um and of course um, yes so i uh, just wanted to clarify that um I'm no longer a CFO in a school board. Uh, I I left, um, you know, a couple months ago. But with that said, like you know, um, I'm going to be taking on roles that are still in the public sector, but probably Mm -hmm. not in school boards for now. Um, But uh, I just wanted to clarify that. So, but I do have uh, 10 years of experience as being a CFO in in school boards. That's so. And so the first question. Yes. Yeah. So. I think right away the youth need to understand that you're you're not going to get to uh, these roles right away, right? That like you have to go through your career. For example, as a CFO, um, you know you need to first uh, get your credentials, right? So uh, you need to have a game plan of what you want to do and uh, you know what you want to be taking in university. And there's different ways to get your accounting designation. But with that said. You need to have that plan to, to go and get it because you could even get an accounting designation even with like a philosophy degree, but then huh. you would need to take a lot of courses, right? And you know, spend years probably making up uh, compared to someone who maybe just got a degree. Or so that's that's the first part I would say. Yeah. Um, and then following that, you just have to be very strategic about your career and what you want to be doing. And sometimes I know that's not um, realistic because you may find uh, and kind of figure out what you want to be doing as you're working so as long as you know someone has that open mind when it comes to eventually strategizing and mapping what you want to do and how you want to get there um, you know a year-by-year basis I think that'll help a lot
0: mm-hmm. right
1: and also reflect on all the good things that, that you've done in your career because if you don't do that then I think the passion could be taken away and it'll always be kind of like the next challenge, the next challenge, the next challenge, and you would never have the time to feel good and actually appreciate what you have done. Okay. So, uh, how I've gotten to the CFO role yes. um, was basically, you know what? I, I rolled up my sleeves. I, I kind of took the traditional route. Got the education, got the got the accounting degree. Spent, um, you know, uh, a, a couple of years in uh, public practice, and uh, you know, doing my articling, etc. And then, um, you know, I I spent um, around five years in uh, Calgary Catholic School District as a business manager. Mm -hmm. So I was right there um, doing like the accounting functions, the business functions, um, uh, the day-to-day ones, um, in a couple of schools uh, in Calgary. I think the unique part was it was the lowest socioeconomic status schools in all of Calgary. So I got the opportunity to work with a lot of vulnerable students, um, a lot of immigrants, um, a lot of parents, teachers, you know, principles, etc. Um, after that, I spent, uh, you know, some time in the Alberta Energy Regulator as a senior financial accountant. So basically, there's um, nine plus years that I kind of spent before I felt I was ready to take the role as a CFO, right? Okay. So, and a part of the sacrifice I think I made was, um, you know, if I stayed in Calgary, uh, you know, I had a promising career in the world energy regulator as a senior accountant, Um, uh, you know, with commitments that I'd become manager eventually and all that stuff, uh, maybe in like three or four years. But, uh, you know what, I think being a a later years millennial, like I wanted it right now, right? So I made some sacrifices. Uh, So I spent... Uh, five years in Wild Road School Division, uh, which was um, in the middle of uh, Alberta, basically, okay. um, in a community that's not as, you know, it's not a big city uh, where you wouldn't have a lot of personal time in your off hours and I spent a, long, a lot of long hours, uh, you know, doing the work there. But I also enjoyed my weekends, too, and got to spend it with my family. Right, and then you know I got the opportunity, and um, you know, to move to uh, Coastal British Columbia, where I spent um, over three years in C Disguise School District in the same chief financial officer role, um, and uh, you know, it was a little bit of a bigger district, more money coming in, uh, different context, very edu- educationally oriented district when it comes to uh, truth and reconciliation, and you know, very focused on the kids, um, and then followed by you know having the opportunity uh, to become the CFO uh, for. Third largest school district in the province, uh, you know, uh, but that just didn't come right away. That came from years and years and years of work and also sacrifices too, by by working in smaller communities and understanding how to lead from a financial perspective a school district. Right. So,
0: so you can't expect it to come no. right away. No, there's steps you got to take to yeah. get there. Yeah, um, I heard that the that the government would kind of try to quiet you down, censor you, if you said something against their policies? That could be just a rumor, could be true. Uh, wanted to ask you if, while you worked as a CFO, if their government made any policy-related changes, um, do they let you express your opinion about it, or uh, would they uh, try to censor you?
1: Yeah, I think that's really up to uh, the culture in uh, the school districts, Okay. and, and the governing culture. Um, so in two of the three districts I've been in, when the government did something and it might, might have been uh, impactful in a negative way uh, to the students, absolutely we were vocal during, during uh, uh, one-on-one meetings, during um, you know uh, group meetings with, like for example, superintendents or secretary treasurers, um, during uh, trustee meetings, during board meetings, uh, you know, with the media. Absolutely, you know, okay. they, it was the right thing to do. Regardless of what the consequences would have been and I, I don't think there Would be a lot of consequences because you would just make sure you're accurate You're not slandering anyone and all that stuff when it comes to uh, what you're saying, right and the impacts of it um, You know, I I'd, like I said, I think it's the culture, you know, and there's okay. uh, I've also been in uh, districts uh, or, or a district where uh, I think the culture was uh, more Wasn't around there because uh, they were actually afraid that the government would come back and, oh, and somehow censor them or reduce their funding and all that stuff. But I just I just think that's paranoia and it's probably not the right thing to do for students. And I really encourage um, the senior leaders and uh, the governors of any organization to really double-check that because ultimately, if they're not speaking up, who's going to speak up? okay right because at the end of the day that that single mother that might have a child with autism or whatever is not going to get that platform to speak up and you know might get it during smaller occasions but they won't have okay uh the influence
0: mm-hmm. uh could you talk a little bit about uh union and seniority and how does that work
1: yeah so um You know, I'm I'm just gonna first admit that I'm I'm not an expert in unions and seniorities. Like I've Mm -hmm. I've worked with many different unions, so I I think just to kind of simplify it, the person that has the most amount of years, right? And now you could kind of start um, bringing that down. If there was like two thousand employees, you would have a list, right, of of seniority of married teachers or staff, or support staff with the amount of years, the particular type of position they're in, um, can they do other jobs, right? Then all of those different type of things come in when it comes to seniority, right? And typically what happens is that the, the, the um, staff members that have the most experience in those, some of those categories that I talked about, um, to summarize, would, their, their roles would be protected. Right, and then um, anyone basically, soon you start going down that list uh, that would have less seniority then would be put on a thing called like something like layoff recall, where you know what, temporarily they may not have a role, okay. but then um, they may get a role uh, like a month later when kind of every, the entire system is kind of flushed out um, because it's very complex because you would have to cater towards the people with the most amount of experience and most amount of years first um, within that union. In that role so yep. hopefully I simplify that and yeah, it's very complex it's it's okay it's complex
0: the teachers that are high on the uh, seniority list yeah is there an incentive for them to strive to get students better to teach better to make the course more fun uh because you know if they're really high on the seniority list they they don't have they don't have that push To keep them there they know they'll be there even if they don't try their hardest is there any incentive to that
1: yeah so there are um in districts that are efficiently run there should be uh things like growth plans and evaluations that happen on a regular basis right Um, for example evaluations are something that happens every three to five years um, and actually assess how a staff member is doing um and then a growth plan uh, it typically should happen every one to two years, and you should be, you know everyone should be doing that. And that kind of helps you keep your professional development skills up. And also it helps you align to kind of the learning plans of uh, this particular school, right? So um, I think that's the route. And uh, you know, in school boards, there, there is a lot of money. I can't uh, specify how much of a percentage, but there is still a significant percentage that's allocated to each school um, for each staff member for their professional development Um, and it's supposed to be for these type of things that you're talking about.
0: In your opinion, how could the system work better for those teachers that are low on the seniority list and that want to uh, fulfill the kids needs and uh, want to make their course really really interesting but because they're low on the seniority list they don't get treated as well and their pay I would assume is uh, lower
1: yeah so i think it's like anything else um you know the more years you would put in um the, the the higher the pay would be you know let's be honest teachers are gonna pay a lot of money right uh and you know there's only so much money the province could probably hand out when it comes right. to these things because the taxpayers have to pay for it eventually right so uh the teachers you know the, yeah they have they have good vacation time but they work a long long hours during those 10 months too that kind of earns that right and they don't make a lot of money um but I uh, think it's like anything else. You would have to uh, just work your way up, and as the years progress, and you know you've uh, achieved that grid or whatever it might be, you you make more money eventually. Um, I think the cool part about teaching is uh, if you stay in teaching, mm-hmm. your income's protected, right? Like for example, with me, it's not like if I uh, if I move to a different industry as a CFO and I still stay in government and no longer on school boards, well, like, my income could be hit significantly, right? Um, and so it's it's something where I, I think that, you know, teachers uh, and people who want to become teachers should, should look at that, like, what does that mean for your future stability and uh, everything when it comes to planning because it, it can have a big impact.
0: I, I overheard uh, some of my teachers, they were talking about uh, how their equipment isn't really up to date and one of my teachers was... Uh, she was complaining about uh, her projector being a hand-me-down and her having her projector for over ten years now and how it doesn't work half the time. And she was talking to my other teacher that had the exact same issue. Um, and then they both agreed that they'd make a complaint to the school board. How do those complaints? How are those complaints processed? Or are they ignored? Or uh, do you does does the school board take time and look at every single complaint and try to figure out how that how how to, how to make how to make kind of everyone's equipment better.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um so I think it's it's challenging because there's a lot of uh, competing priorities uh that, that are happening, right? But with that said, what you're describing to me uh that doesn't sound acceptable, right? Because I'm assuming if the teacher's projector is failing um half the time um you know, she's not going to have the visual aids to, to uh, teach in the classroom early or actually show the kids uh, when they're on their laptops or whatever, kind of what to do or, you know, or kind of her version of whatever you guys are working on or, or his version of whatever you're working on, right? Um, so I, I don't think that's acceptable. Um, but I could see that there's competing priorities um, when it comes to... A, whether or not complaints are being sent to uh, the school board and whether the school board actually uh, takes it seriously, I think it really depends on the volume of complaints, right? Because um, you know, there, is, there needs to be uh, separation of governance versus operations, right? That means that the school board's job is to govern the this, this, uh, strategic plan, mm-hmm. the, the bigger picture focus, uh, the financials, high level of the district, and their own operations when it comes to their their code of ethics and how they should they should be acting um, And the operations ultimately when it comes to the details of now how you're going to be implementing that strat plan um, Or uh, that the bigger picture financials comes down to the senior leaders of um, the organization So with that said, um, I, I think that right away, there's a tendency for a lot of boards uh, to uh, redirect Uh, especially very detailed granular questions or concerns back to um, the senior leadership team. The one thing that would change though and catch the eye of boards is especially if instead of one teacher now, there's 20 teachers or staff members or or the public that are speaking up because now it's it's a political issue that could impact the governance of the system too. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm assuming that You're referring to Coquitlam School District in this example, right? Yes. Yeah, so in this example, um, I could uh, uh, picture Trustee Thomas um, going and uh, just letting the superintendent know, and uh, then uh, one of uh, the superintendent's directors replying back to this teacher and talking to them about what they're doing when it comes to technology and, um, you know, helping them understand kind of where they're at. um, But I don't really envision the board having... uh, a very uh detailed role in this uh question but you know with that said i think it's also all the money spent mm-hmm. right like uh for example um uh if, if you're on the board and you're making let's just say thirty thousand dollars higher than every other uh thirty thousand or twenty thousand dollars higher than you know surrey school district which is the highest school district in this province Mm-hmm. Right, and I uh, mean uh, enrollment-wise, right? They have three times more students than Coquitlam uh, or Vancouver, which is twenty thousand more students. And now okay. you, as a trustee, are making thirty thousand or twenty thousand dollars more um, than those respective uh, two districts. You know that adds up when when you have uh, when you have uh, nine trustees, right? So basically, you could be getting um, close to two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. That the board pays for, the government does not pay for that, right? It's not a special grant, it's it comes like okay. a regular operating grant. Two hundred twenty five thousand that you could be putting back into the system, which um you know what equates to four EA's educational assistance, or in this case it could be equating to two hundred twenty five thousand back to um information technology equipment that's put back into the budget. And mm-hmm things like this Mm -hmm. right so um, yeah it really depends also how the money is being spent too right okay and what are the priorities
0: what courses did you need to take uh, in university or college to get to the CFO position
1: Um, you know in my uh, so I I have a diploma in marketing I Uh have uh, a bachelor's degree in accounting I have uh, my uh, chartered professional accounting designation, um, and uh, basically I have um, over two years of articling experience to get that CPE designation. And part of that CPE designation was I uh, to pass uh, two of the most stringent examinations when it comes to ensuring that I know what I'm talking about uh, for accounting. Um, uh, but you know that that to get that designation. So, okay. along with the years and years of experience that I've, I've had, you know, and I obtained to to eventually get that role in the Coquitlam School District.
0: What differences do you see? Because you worked at, because uh, you were in the position of uh, CFO. CFO. Yeah, two different districts before. Yeah, for many, many years. Yeah. Uh, what differences did you see back then if, uh, uh, not money-wise, mm. just uh, how, I guess, how teachers would teach, and how, how school worked back then than it does work now was is there a lot of differences or are they very very minor? You mean
1: like in my pre- previous roles as a secretary treasurer uh, in my or when I was sorry
0: in in any just the school system in general how how do you see the school system changed uh, does it change now 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 if the school system focuses a lot on feelings than it did let's say twenty years ago yeah uh, is, are there any other changes.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of positive changes um, and there's some negatives too, right? Like for every pro, there's a con, right? Um, so a lot of positives would be, yeah, like fair enough, the feelings, but uh, maybe around some of those things, that's, that's making uh, students who typically weren't comfortable getting out of their shell, right. help them get out of their shell and therefore it's helping them become more resilient going into the future and helping them uh, be successful right uh, there's like heavy focus on truth and reconciliation uh and kind of the the real culture and the history behind canada which i think open a lot of people's eyes up and i think there's uh, more uh teachings around you know a holistic education not just focusing on like math or science but uh you know combining all those different areas and uh, basically you know more project-based teachings which i think uh, in the real world, you would have to do that anyways because you're not going to go and do algebra every single day. Probably, how often would you do that, right? right. But you would do problem solving every day. That that's, uh has a lot of uh, different competencies in it. So I think I think that has gotten better. Um, you know, I, I overall, yeah. There's probably less money in the system now, even though one would say there's oh. more dollar amounts in right. the system. But there's, uh, you would think about, you know, the amount of vulnerabilities that are out there, right? Considerably more, right? Than even when I was a student, right? You would think about basically uh, inflation, the cost of living, and uh, you know, keeping up with salaries and things like that, and all these things kind of accrue year after year after year. They're not funded typically, right? So there's a lot of challenges out there too. um, uh, When when there's a very complex system. So that's a hard question to answer. uh, Yeah, and I I can imagine with more challenges being out there, you're not gonna have as as much resources to allocate. Therefore, you're not gonna be, you may not be as effective in some areas as you were a number of years ago, just because you may not be able to allocate those resources. But I think it ultimately depends on, as a school district now, how you're spending that money. How are you coming up with a budget? How are you consulting with your partner groups? Uh, what are what are your, uh, where are some of your uh, discretionary expenditures going? You know, um, and I think I gave an example earlier, you know, where there was a d- d- decision that was made and right. it costed a quarter of a million dollars, right? And it's these type of decisions where I think, you know, school districts need to be responsible for.
0: Could you give some advice to students on how to properly prioritize uh, and manage their time, uh, being while still being in school. Is there any tips and tricks that you learned over the years that could help students?
1: Yeah, you know what I I would. And I have two kids too, right? I have one. I have a four year old and I'm a nine year old, right? So right. I, I could see where you're, the challenges for students are coming from, right? Uh, my my only suggestion would be if you don't need to do something like if you don't need to go out and work more than you have to and and you aspire to be you know in higher education or or uh, or in a trades program or whatever that requires more training and then now just so your work it's not getting you there just to pay for your uh you know uh, discretionary expenses like your cell phone and things like that right um, my, my just only recommendation would be I know it might sound kind of old school but uh, still a believer of that is you need to focus then on um, you know getting your education done first, right and then okay. somehow figuring that work life balance out or sorry the school and work balance out, um, and uh, you know roll up your sleeves you don't want to be upgrading you know unless there's a lot of people who do upgrading for now on, right um, but at the end of the day. You know what um, if you have the ability to roll up your sleeves uh, and instead of watching TV or whatever Mm -hmm. uh, you know go and do your homework first I know it's uh, it's not the funnest thing it's like working out right Right. I go to the gym like six seven days a week and I have to push myself to go there every single day and if I don't do that then I start um, developing other habits So I think uh, the kids just have to uh, look at that and just be like, okay, well, if you do that extra work and you have time to do that, uh, what would uh, kind of the benefits be to your outcomes, right? And then I think another thing would be, you know, just take some time off too when it comes to uh, for yourself, Mm -hmm. right? And enjoy your childhood too, because at the end of the day, once you are done that, you're be working then you might have a family you might have other things and then you're never going to have that, that experience again that you did when you were a youth right so definitely that that personal you know mindfulness keep that there too
0: would you say school is the only option of getting you to a certain position or uh, are you in are, are, you, are you kind of an advocator for taking courses outside of school
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm a huge advocate of um, being qualified for a position, okay? And um, I'll give you an example. If you're um, a superintendent of a school or if you're a secretary treasurer or chief financial officer of an organization, uh, you need to be qualified for it. The qualification just doesn't come from talking, right? Um, or, Or being intelligent. It comes from having years and years worth of that education mm-hmm. the credentials such as your chartered accounting designation the work experience to back that up the diversity in your experience in that particular role because you're a specialist in are especially in a public organization your public servant and then in, in this is one of the most important roles as the financial public servant being an expert in finances and having the credentials to do it right it's like being a doctor and it, it's like someone that's not a doctor doesn't even have one biology course being right. a doctor. That's, it's very concerning, right? So I mean, and uh, you know what, um, uh, I, I think the public really needs to question organizations that decide to appoint uh, individuals that don't have those credentials um, in these type of roles because the, you want know, that education that work experience is so necessary to do it properly mm-hmm. to, to actually understand the data that's coming and to be able to challenge it and it be able to um, you know um, uh, amend it if you needed to and being able to you know be confidently uh, going to public and talking about it right and that public trust too so uh, you know if there was a secretary treasurer like it that was Uh, Never had their MBA or chartered accounting, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, or accounting degree and years of work experience, and you know now in like a a massive 400 million dollar organization they were appointed just I don't know why because they're they're popular or something. Um, It's very concerning, and I think the public needs to ask the question why that why that may happen. Aside from that, you know what uh, from those major professions where you have that you have. The requirement to to do that and have that knowledge uh, and that education i think there's a lot of professions where absolutely you could uh, kind of work your way up um, without uh, you know necessarily getting a degree or a diploma in that particular field um, and you could kind of succeed by just that work experience right like look at bill gates right there's a lot of ceos that have done that uh, you know without that, that are not probably in the public, but that are more in private industry, that have done that and gotten very successful, or look at people who own businesses mm-hmm. and things like that. So, you know, schooling at the end of the day, like when you're done your K to 12, may not be the only route for you to be successful because there's right. a lot of people who, who are out there that are successful and they're enjoying their lives.
0: What about kids that don't know what they want to do yet? I, I, even even when they finish high school, they don't, want to, they don't know what they want to do. Uh, so would you say go into university and search for more uh, courses that you might be interested in, or would you say because I know a lot of my friends are taking gap years before university or college to figure out what they want to do? Would that be the correct approach?
1: Would you? Think? Uh, I would really say, um, what are you doing with the gap years, <laughs> right? I, I was a, uh, you know, um, I, I took a year off, I think, okay. right, or like six months to figure it out, right. Um, mm-hmm. And even then, I didn't figure it out. I I knew I wanted to get a degree. Right. Right? Um, I was supposed to become a cop. Right? And then I became a CFO. Right? So, just my career route took me there after my degree. Um, So, you know what? If you're going to take a gap year, I I really uh, encourage uh, the students to take that seriously. Right. And don't just waste your time doing other things. Right? Take the gap year. Go out... Do different jobs talk to different individuals volunteer look at you know a broad range of things spend a lot of time researching um, you know enjoy your personal life too but do all those things too so you at least have an idea of where you could go mm-hmm. when that gap year is done um, you know and when you're when you're in post-secondary you could always pull an audible like you could you get an, complete your major and then get a minor or you could go a different direction and you know, a lot of those electives would be transferable too and just having that knowledge as a student I think would help a lot of the kids. But yeah, I recommend that if you're not, if you're confused in what you want to do and your parents are like pushing you just to get going and enroll in school right away, um, then you have the ability to maybe do some reflecting right now Mm -hmm. or maybe in six months down the road from now or something like that, I recommend, yeah, you you may want to consider that but you need to have that plan eventually if you want to go to school that, you know, to eventually getting back on track and going to school and making sure you're really figuring yourself out during that time.
0: From your experience, what courses do you think should be added to the school or made mandatory that you think are really important for anyone going to any position?
1: yeah I think it's probably fun managing your finances like if I, CFO was saying that but uh, I, I think the fin- financial aspect of anyone's life right. lives come into play right and if you don't know how to manage your finances if, you do, if you're not good at paying your bills and you know you don't know what the consequences of that would be on your credit score and things like that I think absolutely you know if there were courses that educated uh, the, the youth on that aspect I think it's is so key because uh, you know what mm-hmm. you, you need a credit card you need a mortgage eventually. right need a car loan uh, these aren't you know the yeah they're discretionary items but they're very important in our society right and a lot of times jobs look at that too for now one. Um, that the second type of course I think uh, needs is absolutely imperative is uh, probably a wellness type of a course and it's a holistic okay. wellness type of a course anywhere from you know uh, your mental health to um you know mindfulness to physical uh, health and uh, the importance of having a good diet and basically nutrition and you know uh uh, maybe implementing some physical working out or exercise programs in there too so you're developing good habits when you're younger and as you age you don't have to all of a sudden hit a wall and then you're doing it because your health has declined and stuff like that because no one really Mm -hmm. taught you any of those things um yeah, I mean, like I, I, think it would be really cool to see different experts coming into school uh, from different, just like mm-hmm. how your podcast is kind of doing. Maybe if you didn't copyright your idea, uh, you know, just getting those experts to come in and talk about kind of their experience in their industry, and you know, and being able to answer some questions from the kids, I think may open up a lot of eyes too. Mm-hmm.
0: Could you, would you, would you feel okay to talk about one thing you disagreed with in the school board and two things you agreed with?
1: yeah absolutely so um the in the majority of the school boards i've been in there was a very student focused attitude okay okay uh and everyone was passionate we were all passionate in different areas but we were all passionate for the bottom line okay um and it was to improve the students life chances okay dealing with a lot of competing priorities and you know, when you uh, are out there with that passion, that attitude to do the right thing, but then you're dealing with competing priorities, you may not be making the, the, the best decisions that would make everyone happy all the time. So that's just part of leadership, right? You have to be able to uh, be resilient to that. Um, so the, those are the, the biggest things, so that's the first one. Right. The second one is um, I think just, um, you know, continuing to uh, make all students feel welcome, right? right. Regardless of if, if you're uh, from Ukraine and you're an immigrant, or if you're a visible minority, or if you have uh, you're a pre- or if you have um, you know uh, a, a disability, or your sexual orientation, or anything. Like you said it's important right. that you're, you're very impo- uh, inclusive, right? Because uh, you know we're all humans, and at the end of the day, you know what these these if we have harmful impacts in our childhood it, you know uh just like how the first nations people had right you know like when uh, uh there were a lot of these kids uh, were in the schooling system it's going to have a lot of trauma throughout your lives mm-hmm. right and it might take you years to get over that trauma and sometimes you may not right um because it's just such a significant thing in your childhood and your upbringing and if you're raised with that how could you really get yourself over that right a lot of people do a lot of people don't so i think uh, school systems focusing on that is, is a good thing but um you know i i just think at the end of the day it all it needs to go down one road still and it just needs to be for the best learning and the best life chances you know and making sure that the kids are walking out more knowledgeable have better skill sets can go different directions in their career uh from educational and a pedagogy standpoint they know what they're doing getting out of that school system or at least close to it mm-hmm. right and i think in a school system where if majority of the kids don't feel like that right. then i think there's something wrong and then it's broken <laughs> and you know you need to as leaders roll up your sleeves and redo you do that strat plan you as the board and the governing body you need to do something about it um you know, when it comes to uh, you being the governors of that organization, and what what is that role that in, in that, that right? So, I think all this leading to the one thing where uh, I don't think uh, I agree with in particular sometimes would be uh, this is not in all the districts, but uh, I would say my experience would be this is in my most recent district and in, in the, the biggest one I've worked in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the Ability to responsibly govern. Okay, I'm, I'm going to give some examples. Okay. Um, you're being tasked to evaluate your staff. Okay, that's the teachers, that's the principals, that's okay. probably uh, some EAs and even caretakers too, and your senior staff too, or your not, not just senior senior staff, but your you know your administrators and things like that being tasked to policy to evaluate them, come up with a growth plan. Okay. Right. So one thing I don't agree with is if you don't lead by example as, as a governing body and you're not doing that yourselves. So one question I want to really relay out there is when was, and for, for organizations to maybe see if they're, they're um, effective at this and if whether or not they actually know or what the public kind of expecting out of them or what their concerns are aside from budget consultations and things like that. It's when was the last time you as an organization, even though you have a policy around it, um, have uh, evaluated yourself as a governing body, so a board. When was the last time you evaluated some of your senior staff? I think those are key because all these are related to uh, what I'm talking about when it comes to um, you know that organizational alignment and that leading by example from all levels, right? And ensuring that you know even though you're dealing with competing priorities and all these different things, but you're still as an organization for leading it, you're leading by example, and you're not having that you know that double standard or that that kind of that uh, clouds hanging over your decisions right. because you're not actually doing some of those things yourself right because then people may not be trusting the decisions that you're making right so so i encourage um you know organizations uh to to really reflect on that and and, and see are they are they doing some of these things and then why are some of these practices there in place for, for you to um uh, that are kind of expected organizations to do
0: mm-hmm. right so how do you think these evaluations sh- should take place
1: uh, you know what, there's typically, from my understanding, you know, um, I've, done, I've been involved in uh, evaluations in my career, throughout my career, right? Uh, so for governing bodies, um, you know, there's typically uh, best practices that, that are out there. For example, if it's for school boards, uh, there's resources that are out there from the British Columbia School Trustee Trustees Association, right? Um, On how an evaluation should take place. What's the role of the public and your partner groups? And what's the the role of, you know, uh, how you collect the information? What do you do with information? How do you come up with the recommendations? What do the interview questions look like? What should surveys happen? A lot of details out there and how often should it happen, right? Um, So that's the first thing I recommend. The second thing is you need to ensure that you're you're living up to your own policies. For example, if you're an organization, you haven't done your self-evaluation, and that's Mm -hmm. also public when it comes to the summary of that, right, not all the nitty-gritty, but that summary and the recommendations of all, what are the good things we're doing, what are some of the areas of improvement, and what are the things we're gonna focus on and how to get ourselves better, needs to be public. Um, And your policies need to be aligned to the best practices that are out there, including the timelines, by organizations like the BCSTA um, and you should also be following your own policy too right if you're expected to do evaluation every three years and you haven't done it
0: right for seven right. years
1: I think there's something wrong then right so
0: before we end off this episode I uh, wanted to ask you what your favorite book is and yeah. what your favorite podcast is that could be beneficial for other students
1: yeah so um I would say I'm. I don't have a particular book in mind, but I do have a lot of articles. Okay. Right. So I'm 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 a. I'm more of an article reader than than a book reader. So you know, it's anywhere from diversity in topics, right? Like I, I don't just go into CPA website and read like or Harvard Business Review and just read like you know what uh, proactive leadership is, yeah. or kind of like right. what um, the how do you balance your personal and your, um, you know, work life, right? I like to go out there and, uh, you know, read articles that are kind of expanding my worldview on different things. So I like to read about, you know, geopolitical situations. I like to Mm -hmm. read health articles, health and wellness. I like to read business articles, obviously. I like to read articles about like religion. I like to read articles about sometimes entertainment and, you know, cars and things like that. Right Um, about traveling and how people's experiences kind of they felt going through you know traveling for maybe a year or whatever and going to all these different countries and you know going with the backpack and that's about it right and no money right and and just like things like that and you know what I'm more of a believer just for myself in in reading articles from a a diversity of topics just because you know I um, I'm a life student and I like to expand my worldview on different things and you know have being able to have good conversations with people but also being able to kind of understand people and myself too by by doing that right so that's 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 my favorite books it's articles okay. that I read,
0: and then podcasts
1: um uh, you know what uh i like joe rogan. <laughs> joe rogan <laughs> yeah I, th- I think everyone or a lot of people is controversial but i think he's open and he's honest right um so yeah i'm a fan of joe rogan and um
0: uh, what would your next step be after leaving the CFO position at the school board
1: yeah so um, it's becoming a CFO and probably just for now I want to uh, I want to diversify my career like I've just 15 out of the 17 years I've put in K to 12 right and the, you know the reality is I don't have to do that right it's not like I'm an educator where my entire career goes in one sector like I'm, I have a business degree and a chartered accounting designation right so I could be a CFO in uh, different organizations, um, so mm-hmm. I've, I've been putting a lot of thought into that and, you know, just, I think just my most recent experience, yeah, it was positive, there was a lot of growth, um, a lot of cool things, you know, very good team members, very passionate educators, uh, you know, get get to help a lot of students Um, But I think also there was a lot of politics um, and things that I didn't necessarily agree with, Um, you know, when it comes to the type of organization I want to be a leader for. Um, And, uh, you know, my most recent experience. So I think it kind of got me to the, the thinking that I want to kind of go into a different industry right now and a different organization and just kind of grow and diversify myself and being able to still contribute to the public by just maybe doing it in in a different industry. So what does that mean? That means, you know, maybe being a CFO for like a First Nations uh, government, maybe being a CFO for a municipality, maybe being it for another crown corporation, uh, for a nonprofit. And it has to be kind of aligned with my passion and why I've stayed in the public sector Mm in my career. But I I think I want to get out of the K to 12 sector for now and just experience other areas.
0: that's awesome thank you so much for having time to sit down with me it's been an honor hopefully some of the listeners learned at least one thing from this podcast thank you very much